Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Retro Film Reviews. Uh, I am of course your host Julian, host of the Minutites Podcast and all other content uh, from the Minutites Podcast brand. Uh, and this is my third Retro Film Review. And this one I'm reviewing, which you know, of course you see it in the title and the, the dang thumbnail as well. I am reviewing the 1988-89, uh, I believe, classic film. The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, or uh, Munchausen, uh, as I believe it is properly pronounced, Munchausen, Munchausen, yeah. <laughs> uh, it is uh, written and directed by Terry Gilliam of uh, Monty Python fame, uh, and it stars uh, legendary, actually it stars several legendary actors in this film, uh, John Neville as the full name, uh, Hieronymus Carl Frederick Baron von Munchausen and Eric Idle as his uh, his servant Berthold, uh, Sarah Pauli as Sally Salt, uh, the late great Oliver Reed as Vulcan, who most of you might, most of you younger people especially might remember him uh, from Gladiator with co-starring with Russell Crowe. And we have uh, Charles McEwen as Adolphus, Winston Dennis as Albrecht, Jack Purvis as Gustavus, uh, another legendary actress, uh, Valentina Cortez as uh, Queen Ar Ariadne, uh, Jonathan Price as the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, uh, Bill Patterson as Henry Salt, Peter Jeffrey as the Sultan, uh, Uma Thurman in one of her earliest roles. I believe this actually might have been her first film. Let me look up because I'm looking at the IMDb listing for the film. Let me see her acting credits if that's the first one that's listed here. Uh, let me see. Uh, well, it's not. It's not the first. It's actually the fourth film she has listed on here. And uh, if you heard me speak about the about this on, if you remember the uh, podcast that I did from last year where I spoke about the Tim Burton and Joel Schumacher Batman films from the 90s. Uh, I mentioned that in the Shadow of the Bat documentary that Joel Schumacher said that uh, he had he had basically fallen in love with Uma Thurman when he first saw her in this film, and I uh, mentioned that I did as well. And uh, if you can, I don't know if you can hear it, but I'm currently listening to a Slipknot playlist that's on that I have on Spotify. If you can hear that in the background, cool. Uh, hopefully it's not too loud. I don't want to get a copyright strike by YouTube when I upload this. Uh, but uh, anyways, going back to this, we have more uh, legendary names. We had a Sting, had a uh, the singer Sting, not the pro wrestler. Uh, he had a brief little cameo in the film as well, and uh, the late great uh, Robin Williams in this in this film as well as as his character was the King of the Moon. But in the credits, when you see at the end of the film, when the credits roll, he's credited as Rey de Tuto, which is actually the, also the name of his character. The character is Rey de Tuto, King of the Moon. Or as he says it in the film, uh, you must you must address me by my complete title, King of Everything. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is a one of the most brilliantly uh, crafted films that I have ever seen and, ex and experienced in my life and uh, when I purchased the blu-ray earlier this year uh, in addition to from Amazon with it was like a little bundle of movies that I purchased through uh, I believe it was yeah this film and the limited the collector's editions of the previous spider-man films that I've spoken quite a lot about on here before uh, that I'd, I'd been watching it 
Uh, no exaggeration, at least two or three times a month since January when I got the Blu-ray. And it is because it is a film that no matter how many times I watch it, I will enjoy the hell out of it. And I have a good time every time I do watch it because it is just... It is so. It is such an absurd story, an absurd film, and in all the best possible ways. It is so over the top and ridiculous, and that is why I love it so much. Uh, when I, fir I first actually watched this film, very very young, when I was a child, and I used to have it actually recorded on a VHS tape uh, so many years ago. Uh, I think recorded off of Cinemax, uh, but on the video that I had, the ending got cut off. Uh, if you've seen the film, you know, so it's not a spoiler, but it's spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen the film, which, if you're listening to this why, and you haven't seen it yet and you don't want to be spoiled, then why are you even listening? But yeah, at the end of the film, when they're about to open the gates, because that's a, that's a big plot point in the film, uh, my old VHS copy that I recorded from, <clears throat> from Cinemax, I, I believe it was Cinemax, it gets cut off, and that was the end of it, and... And until five years ago, I had never seen the actual ending of the film. And when I finally did, <sighs> I just was so mad that I had never got to actually, I didn't get to see it when I was a child. I only got to see it now as an adult. Uh, but at the, even not getting to watch the actual ending when I, was a ch when I was younger did not stop me from loving this film so much. And I quite often uh, quote and reference this film a lot in my life uh, because... I don't know, for whatever reason, just this film resonates with me so much, and it is legitimately one of my all-time favorite films, and, and, and it is in my top ten all favorite films of all time. Um, my brother, if uh, my oldest brother especially, if he's listening to this, well, not if, I know he is, uh, he'll, he'll know exactly what I'm talking about with the absurdity of this film and just why it's, it's so great. Um... <laughs> Because uh, like one of the one of the basically what it is, it's inspired by uh, a series of Baron Baron Munchausen stories from a long, long time ago uh, that have not have no connection to this one this film whatsoever. It's just that Terry Gilliam and uh, <clears throat> and Chris McEwen that they were big fans of the older Baron Munchausen stories and wanted to you know do their version of it and. <laughs> And this, you know, they have the documentary on the Blu-ray. It's a, it's a three-part, but you have the option of watching all of it together as one. It's about an hour and a half, very good documentary that tells the whole story of how the film came to be, and all the production, you know, complications and troubles and issues with budget because it was a lot of budget issues. Uh, they went over budget like a couple of times, I believe. And just, you know, it's a very like the ba the backstory of the film is just as insane as the film itself uh um and one of the things that like you know as an adult that i have a better understanding of filmmaking especially after i took a filmmaking class in high school so like i understand a little bit of it i'm not i'm not i'm not gonna pretend that i'm an expert but i have a, i have a certain under a certain understanding of it uh, especially working with the green screen stuff and and which this one yeah they do they, they well for this one they use a blue screen and a lot of practical effects that i wish more films today would use more practical effects you know like like a christopher nolan he he uses mostly practical effects on his films and that's why they're so great um uh, but for this film it's uh i don't remember what the budget was but yeah it was 
uh, you know, and it's a film produced by uh, by Sony or Columbia Studios, whatever, whichever you want to call it, owned by Sony. Um, uh, it's where the fuck was I going with this? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, like I said, just for whatever reason, I just res this film just can I just connect with it so much, um, and 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 like I said, I no exaggeration. I've watched it at least twice, two to three times a month, every month for the last eight months that I've had this this the Blu-ray for it, and and I would never get tired of it. It's <sighs> anyone who anyone else who has seen this film, uh, uh, like Clay, you know, so I know he he's he's seen the film because I've seen him posting about it on on Vero. Uh, he he would understand. Um, <laughs> Because uh, I guess, and again, like those Terry Gilliam and Chris McEwen, that they were inspired by the original stories, but like what this one was, it's that uh, it opens up. Uh, it's a war between whatever country that this is supposed to be uh, against the Turks. The uh, uh, actually, let me look up that that little bit of info to, to get a better understanding of exactly what the whole plot and locations and all that stuff was supposed to be. Uh, see, let me look through here. IMDb, IMDb, DVD, I am. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, a plot summary. Uh, uh, no, these are fan written, so wouldn't really work. Uh, well, I'll just read the little, the paragraph, the first paragraph of the, the synopsis listed on IMDb. It says, the film begins in an unnamed and war-torn European city, well, that answers my question, in late 18th century, dubbed the Age of Reason in an opening caption, where amidst explosions and gunfire from a large Turkish army outside the city gates, a fanciful touring stage production of Baron Munchausen's life and adventures is taking place. Backstage, city official, the right ordinary Horatio Jackson, reinforces the city's commitment to reason, here meaning uniformity and unexceptionality, by ordering the execution of a soldier who had just accomplished a near superhuman feat of bravery, uh, which is the Sting cameo that I mentioned before, claiming that his bravery is demoralizing to the other soldiers. Uh, not fair into the play, or not far into the play, an elderly man claiming to be the real Baron, Baron Munchausen interrupts the show, protesting its many inaccuracies over the complaints of the audience. Over the complaints of the audience, the theater company and J Jackson, the real Baron, gains the house's attention and a narrative through flashbacks, uh, an account and narrates, rather, through flashback, uh, an account of one of his adventures of life or death wager with the Grand Turk, where the young, younger Baron's life is saved only by his amazing luck, plus the assistance of his remarkable associates, Berthold, again, probably by the legend Eric Idle, uh, the world's fastest runner, uh, Adolphus, played, played by Charles McEwen, uh, a rifleman with superhuman eyesight, Gustavus, played by Jack Purvis, who possesses extraordinary hearing and uh, sufficient lung power to knock down an army by exhaling, and uh, Albrecht, played by Winston Dennis, a fantastically strong man. Uh, yeah, basically, uh, Gustavus, uh, he, he has, you know, the most powerful lungs in the world, where he can, like, l like literally just, like, blow down a whole forest in one breath. Uh, and Adolphus, he can see, you know, from for thousands of miles away, and he can he can see sees it with like with perfect you know 2020 vision, 
uh, and it can be thousands of miles away, and he can do that. And Berthold, he's the fastest meow man in the world, uh, and and he has to wear like the you know the ball and chain, or as they call it in the movie, the leg irons, uh, to slow him down so that he doesn't run off like phew. Um, uh, but the and like I said, like how this film is just so ridiculously over the top. It's uh, when they get into the to the story that the real Baron is telling when he's within the salt the the, the Sultan's uh, palace, that they place the they make a wager over uh, that Baron would ha get the uh, get a superior bottle of of uh, of uh, wine I think I I'm, I believe is what it is uh, from from the Empress uh, Empress in Vienna. And he sends Berthold to take care of that, and he says that he would have it within the hour, and it would be thousands of miles away. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, the wager would be that if uh, Baron fails in in this, he would that the Sultan can chop off his head, which is yeah, I know, a bit of a ridiculous wager, but that was the that was the the central thing behind all this, basically, because him telling the story is how the war. With the Turkish army started, <coughs> and and uh, as they're waiting for for Berthold to return, the Sultan uh, starts performing uh, songs from an opera that he had apparently been writing called "The Torturer's Apprentice," and it's some of the most ridiculous. Uh, they in the organ that he he brings out has a uh, four slaves inside like the the part where the sounds comes out from the organ uh, and they're being poked and prodded by sharp uh staffs and being clobbered over the head by a little by other things as he's playing the pushing the keys on the on the the organ um and just another thing is like because this film is is a it's a pg film and but there's a lot of stuff in the film that is not pg um, but at the same time, like back then, PG-13 was not a thing. It was either your PG or your rated R. And discussing this with a lot of people, you know, recently that that have seen the film, like if the film was made to the, in today's world, it would either be a hard PG-13 or soft or soft R-rated film. Because like this film, like there's there there they have like you know, there's naked people. Though, even though they're covered up, there's one woman when they when they start when they the the palace sequence starts, where you can see she's clearly naked, uh, but you only see her from the backside. You don't see you don't see anything else that's I guess too X-rated, um, and also there's uh, severed heads and decapitations a lot throughout the film, uh, like hell, like when the uh, when Baron uh, wins the the, the wager, uh, that the Sultan, that his his bargain was that if uh, if he's if Baron succeeds in the on this, that he can have anything the uh, take from his 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 treasury uh, as much as as much as the strongest man can carry, which would have, which would be Albert, and they ended up with literally his every everything in his vault. So of course the salt was angry, and the the treasurer that was in charge of the vault, when he came to inform him of this, uh, the sultan, uh, angry obviously, took a sword from one of his guards and chopped off his head, clean off. 
and he lands in front of a, a woman's, you know, in front of a woman and winks at him before they move on to the next scene with Baron and his servants escaping. And in the door, in the doorway where the Sultan and his army are coming through, you can see several decapitated heads hanging over the archway. Uh, and again, this is a PG film. Decapita decapitated heads hanging over an archway and literally seeing a head being chopped off. Uh, and we see we see more head choppings later on in the film during the final act, or the third act, the final battle at the end of the film. Uh, so it's like... Uh, and there is one nips... And there is a little nip, nip slip from Uma Thurman's character uh, uh, when she's introduced as, as the, the goddess Venus... Uh, married to the god Vulcan, who again was played by Oliver Reed, uh, and it's again a PG film with bare women, bare female nipples, decapitated heads, and other naked bodies throughout the film, or at least in the Sultan sequence. Um, I don't know. A film like like that could not be made today, done the same way that it was. Um, <clears throat> but uh, that's why it's good that it was made at the time that it was, because in today's world, the, with the way people can be overly sensitive to a lot of things, this film would not work now. It could not. It would not be released in theaters now. Be, it would bomb at the box office, which I don't even know how much money it made when it was in theaters. Uh, I can't imagine it was, you know, by today's standards at least, it was that much. Um, but, uh, uh, but like, and then when they, after you know, he's tell he tells that story about the Sultan. Uh, you know, the Sultan's army starts you know bombing the city even more, so the 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 audience in the theater runs away, and then uh, Sally. Uh, still not, you know, believing that he's the real Baron, catches him, like, unconscious on the floor with, uh, death, like, you know, like, the Angel of Death, which is, like, a, a, a skeleton cloaked in black with, you know, wings, uh, take, trying to take his soul, and, but it's, but, and it just happens a lot that, you know, death makes several appearances and is thwarted at, at many of the chances that it takes to, uh, basically take Baron's soul and have him just die, you know? And in the, this first instance, uh, he's, it's death is stopped by Sally, uh, who then, you know, tries to, like, wake him up and wants to hear the rest of the story. Um, and then they go out there because, you know, she's, you know, the, all the cannons and stuff being th blown into the city. She come, She's upset because she'll never hear the end of the story. Um... And and that's when she real that's when she gets to see that he is the real Baron Munchausen because when he says to the to the other guards and the other soldiers from uh, from their side that you know like wouldn't it be you know a good idea to you know to silence those enemy cannons and they say no sir it's Wednesday which I mean film's been it's been thirty years since the film came out and however many years since I first watched it. And the countless times I've watched it this year alone, I still don't understand what what that what that's supposed to mean. Um, and now, even at the when and when they're still in the theater, the Horatio, the Horatio Jackson, and then he's, he's like, "What is the Sultan playing with? Or what is the Sultan playing at? It's Wednesday, isn't it?" Uh, 
And that's even in the opening the opening thing when they show it said the uh, 18th century age of reason Wednesday. What what it means, what Wednesday means in this context, I don't know, but it's funny to me. And so then the Baron takes it upon himself. He takes a uh, a mortar shell, I think is what it was called, with, you know, like a can, basically a cannonball that has handles on it, picks it up and tries to put it in a, you know, like a cannon, you know, cannon machine thing, and it blows him across the battlefield, where, you know, he is holding on for dear life, you know, finally lets go, and it lands on the, the enemy's, you know, cannons, and he gets hit with another, with a, one of their cannonballs, and he holds on, he grips it, uh, dodges death again on while, on the way flying back over there, uh, and then warns them that the the Turks are about to storm the walls. That's when she that's when Sally realizes he's really Baron Munchausen, and then you know they go back to her father, um, and the rest of that the the theater group, and to you know figure out a plan because he's the one that can stop this war, and he promises to raise the siege and save the town. Uh, so they, uh, ma they make a, float, a, a hot air balloon uh, made out of the underwear of all the women in the town. Um, and uh, they can't find Sally because she was angry that uh, Baron wouldn't uh, cooperate with what she was telling them that with, with the story of what happened. And she was actually hiding in one of the little, like, sandbag things that's on the on the ship that he was using to f fly off to retrieve his servants and you know and <clears throat> and win the war for the, for the town or the city um and uh because uh, they're first going to go off to the moon because that's where as he said that's where i last saw Berthold. uh and, and this is where we got to meet, see robin williams as the king of the moon uh, or like i said he's the, the character is Rei de Tuto, the king of the moon, or again, complete title, king of everything. And I think this is actually my favorite scene in the whole film because it's one, it's Robin Williams, and two, just so much of it is so, again, ridiculous on top of everything else in the film. And it was just so hilarious. I, I laugh my ass off every time I watch it because it's the king and queen of the moon, and the whole thing is that their heads are de detachable, and... The heads don't get along with the bodies, or as Baron said it, the, the heads and their bodies don't see eye to eye. <laughs> um, and the you know King of the Moon, when it's just his head, he is he is about the in, into intellectual uh, uh, adventures rather than the f physical stuff that his body wants to engage in all the time. Uh, and the Queen of the Moon is uh, played by uh, Valentina Cortez, um, and she's you know. And the other thing with Baron is that in the beginning he's a very, very like wrinkly old man, which is brilliant practical old man of makeup effects that this film uh, utilized, and I believe they actually won an Oscar for it. Um, and uh, and and all and but when he's on these adventures, like we're here, he starts like aging in reverse like Benjamin Button style you know and uh, the queen of the moon you know is you know fawning over the Baron she's like you know she loves him she's in love with him all women love him he's so dashing and charming and debonair you know um, 
And, uh, and, uh, and then when the, when the king, when the king's body comes in and tries to put the head back on, uh, they start fighting over, like, you know, uh, again, being possessive because, you know, the baron and the, his queen, you know, not, you know, getting, being involved with each other and, um, and he's, you know, munching on all this other stuff and then the head detaches again and spitting he's spitting out the food he's like oh i'm free again and free to whatever whatever and and then when the he's the, the he starts throwing food and like the food hits hits the head in the eye and he's blinded uh and then when he uses like like a like a butterfly net to to capture him and the, the as the the head he just he's one of my favorite things he says he says you know i have uh constellations to something comments to direct i don't have time for their flatulence flatulence and orgasms i hate that face you make me you make me make the uh, <laughs> uh it's it's just so ridiculous and over the top and in all the best possible ways and it just every time i watch it i just it just makes me miss robin williams so much and it's it's already been five years since he died and it it that doesn't that doesn't feel like it, it doesn't feel like it's been five years it feels like it's it's, it's only been like one or two <sighs> And then you know, he's trapped in the in a bird cage that the that the king with the head attached to the body locks him and Sally in. And but they do find Berthold, who's older and has forgotten who he is and who the Baron is. But then the Queen, her detached head, rescues them. And you know that leads to another funny little sequence with like a weird three-headed bird creature uh, that the king decides to chase them with. But before we get to that part, like when, because uh, he's he's in bed with the body of the queen, and the she's you know her her head is reacting to the things being done to the body, and you know Sally being a child and oblivious to that stuff, she asks why is she making those funny noises, and the Baron says, uh, you know she's the she her body's with the queen, and he's tickling her feet, and the way he says it, you think it's like oh he's just using euphemisms for sex, but no, they cut to the king with her in bed. He's literally tickling her feet, and and uh, later on, like they catch up to them when he then when when the king finally realizes that the head is gone, the that he gets so mad at her when he realizes that that, he, that the head is off with the baron, that he says, like you are with that little man, you told me size don't make a difference, and then. He tries to shove her, you know, but completely goes past her because he, he aims for the head, but there's no head. He calls her a, a puta. <laughs> oh my god. Uh. <sighs> but then after the moon sequence, they end up uh, at the center of the earth with uh, uh, Oliver Reed's, you know, the god Vulcan. Um, or they find uh, Albrecht, who is apparently a midget manservant of his, even though he's towering over everyone there. Um, which is where we meet Goddess Venus, played by Uma Thurman, who again is infatuated and, and falls for the charms of Baron, and to which the the god Vulcan gets jealous uh, because she's his wife and. He doesn't want other men to to be that way with her. 
then he throws them into like a like a little watering hole, like a tornado twister, like cyclone hole, where they end up on the other side of the of the of the, of the earth, um, where they get eaten by a big fish, and then they, while inside that giant fish, they find uh, uh, Gustavus and Adolphus, much much older, where Adolphus uh, is basically blind. Uh, and Gustavus ha can't hear that well. Um, and Adolphus, he's, uh, like, almost senile. It's hilarious. And he has, like, a very high-pitched, squeaky voice that it's just so funny. Um, and then, you know, the Baron just accepts defeat and is just waiting for death, where we find death there in there again, and they're all, they're playing a cards game. Um, uh, but then they've managed to escape that, and they end up uh, out at the town, uh, where, you know, the town is losing to the Turkish army, and then when Sally and them, they say, like, you know, they're all too old, they can't do this anymore, and Baron decides to give himself up, and, but, you know, the team, they decide to rescue him at the last minute, because he, Baron goes off and says, like, so, you know, Sultan, if you, if you're still, if you're still after my head, it's yours, I'm tired of all, all this. <sighs> and, and yeah, but then he's rescued by his servants and and Sally and uh, and they win the war. They're celebrating, mar marching in a little parade. But then the Horatio Jackson, who just so determined to have a world of logic and scientific principle and all this other stuff, uh, he assassinates the Baron. Um, and they have a funeral for him, but then he, they cuts back to them all on stage, and that's the end of the, the story he was sharing, that that was him telling a story, and he says that that, that was the first of many, that was just one of many deaths that, that he, he was to experience, and he, right, he said it's an experience that he wouldn't hesitate to recommend for others. <laughs> and then the Horatio Jackson... And the real part of the story, you know, like where now it's real life, it's no longer just the story, comes in and decides to have them all arrested at once, but then they go off to open the gates, and it turns out that everything Baron said was true. And, yeah, that's where the story ends, and uh, I've been going on for th 30 minutes now, and uh, just, if you've never seen this film, you should go, go on to Amazon, and purchase the Blu-ray because you're not going to find the Blu-ray anywhere else. You can, at least I don't think so. You can check Barnes and Noble, Best Buy. You most likely, you're probably not going to find it, but definitely go on to Amazon.com and purchase a, the Blu-ray for this film. Uh, I think it's like not even ten dollars. Uh, you know, and to me, trust me, if you love, if you love the, if you love the Mighty Python films or or like, or the films of Terry Gilliam, let me get, let me just check the other films that he um, that he did. Because uh, I, I know what, uh, um, let me see, yeah, Holy Grail was one of them. Yeah, Monty Python, Holy Grail, uh, Time Bandits, uh, Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus, the, which was the last on-screen role of Heath Ledger. Uh, uh, and look, let me see how he's, uh, developing a, uh, a TV, the TV series based off Time Bandits. That's, that's, that's cool. Uh, let me see. But let me see the, his directing credits. Uh, yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, Jabberwocky, Time Bandits, uh, Brazil, Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Fisher King, 
12 Monkeys, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. That's another great one. The Brothers Grimm, uh, Tideland, Imaginary of Dr. Parnassus, uh, Zero Theorem, and The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Yeah, all wonderful, wonderful films. So if you're a fan of any of those, definitely should check out The Adventures of Baron Munchausen because you will, I am certain you will fall in love with it just as I, I did all those years ago. And, uh, and well, that's that's gonna do it for this edition of Retro Film Reviews. I hope you enjoyed it. I really do. And if and if you even if you still don't plan on seeing this film, I at least hope that you had a good time listening to me uh, describe it. Uh, be sure to check out my other rev retro film reviews for the 1994 Lion King and the original Masters of the Universe film as well. As well as my worst to best series that I just recently premiered, where I rank the Spider-Man films. Um, you know, subscribe uh, to the Minutes podcast to get other, you know, all future podcasts and other virtual film reviews and worst to bests on here. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Castbox, Radio Public, YouTube. Uh, follow me on Twitter at I am Fositude for podcast updates. Uh, Instagram at Fositude to enjoy some of the pictures I post on there. Uh, on Vero at Fositude to enjoy stuff that I post on there. Um, support the Minutized Podcast on Patreon. The link to that is in the description as well. It's, you know, become a patron for only $5 a month to help, you know, build my hall of justice and contribute to the podcast. You can contribute, you know, topics for pocket full podcast episodes or new segments for me to address, etc., etc., etc. and uh, you can purchase uh, merchandise in the Menatites Podcast Store. The link to that is in the description as well. I debuted or premiered two new shirts earlier this week. So now I have four shirt designs uh, available in several colors. Um, and just again, link to that is in the description as well. Feel free to purchase one or all. Uh, you can get stickers on there as well. Some wall art for a few of them as well. And uh Thank you so much for tuning in and subscribing. I love and appreciate every single one of you who do. I truly and genuinely do. Yes, I really, really do. And I hope you all enjoy the rest of this week and the coming weekend. And I am Julian. This has been Literal Film Reviews. And I'll see you on the next one. Bye.